Greetings, everyone. Uh, church sends greetings from Grace Reformed Baptist Church. It's a privilege and an honor to be here to preach the Word of God to you all. I don't, uh, I don't have one text that I plan to exegete this morning. It's going to be more topical, and then this afternoon it'll be more exegetical. But if I had to base my um, sermon this morning on anything, it would be Titus 2. 13, which you can kind of see listed in your bulletin. And Titus 2.13 says this, that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning I want us to think about the topic of hope. Now I'm convinced that hope as a Christian virtue and grace is one of probably the most overlooked and underappreciated virtues in the Christian life. Hope is something that every Christian truly possesses. Hope is something that every Christian truly professes. But I think hope is something that we don't all put into practice like we should in this life. Brethren, we need hope. And we need lots of hope especially in this dark and fallen world, through all the troubles and trials that we face, we need hope. We need a lot of hope. But because of our own weakness, because of our own wickedness and sin, because of the busyness of our lives, I think a lot of us may be seriously deficient in hope. Well, this morning, with God's help, I want to set before you the blessings and glories of what we could call the Christian hope. It's a unique hope that only Christians possess. And I want to show you in the Bible what that Christian hope exactly is. And I want you to abound in hope. Because the Scriptures call us to abound in hope. To be so full of hope that no matter what losses and crosses and evils you may experience in this fallen world, you can endure them all with patience and joy and confidence in your Lord who is coming again to make all things new. To fulfill that hope that we have in Him. So, I want us to look at this thing called hope under four headings this morning. The definition of of the Christian hope, the foundation of the Christian hope, the content of the Christian hope, and the fruits of the Christian hope. May God help us to rejoice in this hope and to hold fastly to this hope without wavering to the very end. Well, first then, the definition of the Christian hope. What exactly is the Christian hope? What does it look like? How do we define it? What are its key characteristics? Well, let's consider first what it is not, and then secondly, let's look exactly what it is. So first, what it is not. Well, hope is probably a word that everybody uses in their everyday vocabularies quite a bit. We're used to this word hope. You might say things like, I hope to be home for dinner tonight, or I hope we win the game, or I hope to see you again soon, or I hope you get better. Now those are appropriate ways to speak because we're creatures of God. Uh, We're not God Himself. We're not in control of the world and the things in it. So we're hoping that things might happen in the future. But the thing that holds all those phrases in common is that there's uncertainty in them. It's kind of a lack of assurance. There's no stamp of guarantee that what we hope to come to pass will actually 
be accomplished. So we all recognize that we might have hopes and desires and dreams and goals that will never be fulfilled. That our hopes could be smashed and dashed into a thousand pieces when we least expect it. Well, that's the normal way I think we use the word hope. But the way the Bible uses the word hope is much, much different. There's creaturely hope, which I just talked about, but then there's the Christian hope. And the Christian hope is not wishful thinking. The Christian hope is not a shot in the dark. It's not a leap of faith. It's not making an educated guess about something. And it's not even being pretty sure. So what then is hope according to the Bible? Let me read uh, two definitions from some respected and, and godly men. And I think they really lay out what hope is in the Bible by these words. The first is from John Piper. He says that hope, according to the Bible, is a confident expectation of good things to come. A confident expectation in good things to come. And the second definition comes from my fellow pastor, Sam Waldron. His definition is a little more robust, but this is what he has to say about hope. He says that it is a personal, purifying, positive, confident expectation directed toward the unseen future based on God and His Word. Now both these men point out that hope waits for something good to happen in the future. It looks forward to experiencing good things that, that have not yet occurred in our own lives. And of course, the Bible affirms this understanding of hope. It's future-looking. It's future-oriented. We see it very clearly in Romans chapter 8, verses 24 through 25, where the Apostle Paul says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. In other words, hope does not look to the transient things that can be seen, but hope looks to the eternal things that cannot be seen with our own physical eyes. But both these men also point out that hope is full of confidence. Right? It's forward-looking, but it's full of confidence. The Christian hope is not some desire or wish for some future good to fall into our laps. It is also a firm expectation in receiving that future good. It is a heart and soul confidence and certainty that good things are coming your way. And of course, the Bible confirms this in many, many passages as well. I just want to summarize what the Bible has to say about the confidence that is found in hope. It tells us that we have a living hope. A fully assured hope, a sure and steadfast hope, a safe and secure hope, a hope we can hold on to without wavering, and a hope that will never, ever put us to shame. So that in the Christian hope, there are no maybes, there are no possibilities, there are even no probabilities. In the Christian hope, it is yes, yes, yes. But we have to ask ourselves the question, if this is biblical hope, how can it be so rock solid? How can it be so immovable, so unshakable, so able to stand against all the storms of this life? How can we have this kind of hope of better days to come when we live in this ever-changing, cursed world? Well, it's because our hope is not set upon anything in this world. 
Our hope is actually set upon the founder and perfecter of our faith in Christ Jesus himself. So that's the second point, the foundation of our hope. Remember, the Christian hope is just that. It is Christ-centered hope. It's not centered upon man, but it's anchored upon Jesus Christ. It's centered upon Christ. It's founded upon Christ. It's grounded in Christ. It rests on Christ. It stands on Christ. It's built on Christ. The Bible plainly teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ is the very foundation of our hope. 1 Timothy 1.1 says explicitly that Christ Jesus is our hope. And specifically, the New Testament grounds our hope in the saving work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Let me just mention a few scriptures. For instance, we're told in 1 Peter chapter 1 that our hope is firm and solid because Christ is risen from the dead and has ascended to glory. 1 Peter 1, ver- uh, 1, Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then in verse 21, Peter goes on to say, Who through Him, through Christ, we are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Brethren, it's based off the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. But our hope also rests secure because Christ is interceding for us in heaven right now as our great high priest. Hebrews chapter 6, 19 through 20 states, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Our hope is anchored upon Christ who is in glory for us right now, interceding, praying on our behalf. And our hope, of course, will be fully realized because Jesus Christ is coming back again. That's what Titus 2 verse 13 tells us. Right? We are waiting for, or we are hoping for, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the good foundation, brethren, that is laid for our hope is Christ and His saving work. He is the solid rock on which our hope stands. But that also means, brethren, there are no substitutes. There are no alternatives to true and lasting hope. There is only hope in Jesus Christ. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. There's no hope in man. There's no hope in politicians. There's no hope in athletes. There's no hope in our leaders. There's no hope in money. There's no hope in ourselves or our works. Truly, all other ground is sinking sand as we sing in that glorious hymn. Apart from Christ, there is nothing for us to look forward to except pain and misery and sin and death and an eternity in hell. Outside of Christ, the Bible is clear that the only hope that sinners have is a fearful expectation of judgment. A fury of fire that will consume God's enemies. But brethren, with Christ, we don't have that fearful expectation of the fury of fire and the wrath of God. But in Christ, we have the hope of good things to come. Great things to come. Glorious things to come. And that leads me to my third point. 
which is the content of the Christian hope. What exactly does hope confidently look forward to? What does it eye from afar? What is set in hope's sights? What are those good things to come that hope confidently waits to receive? Well, I think the Bible, when you, when you look at what the entire Bible teaches about the object of our hope, I think it really presents before us just one thing. One good, heavenly, blessed thing is put before the eyes of hope. There's just one thing that we are to put our hope in. But the Bible also teaches that this one hope can be seen in many different ways. There's many facets to this one hope. It's like a beautiful diamond ring that when the light of the sun shines upon it, you can see all the various beautiful and brilliant colors. So I'd like us to look at this one hope that the Bible puts before our eyes, but also to see it in several different ways. Seven, exactly. So the first is this. We as believers in Christ hope in Christ's glorious return. First Corinthians 1.7 says that we wait. Again, when you read the word wait, it's just another word for hope. We wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, Titus 2.13, we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. I think if you had to write a summary statement concerning the Christian hope, it would be this very thing. This is what hope constantly eyes and waits for. If we boil down hope to just one thing, it is the confident expectation of the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is our blessed hope. We wait for His return. We wait for Him to be revealed. We wait for Him to appear. We wait for His coming. So the eyes of our hearts are to be fixated on the day of the Lord when Jesus Christ appears in glory and power. Of course, this glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not all that we hope for. We also await and hope for the glorious gifts that He's going to give us when He returns. So the first and foremost one is that Christ Jesus is coming back again in glory. But secondly, the Bible says that we hope in receiving the fullness of eternal life. Titus 1-2 and Titus 3-7 tell us that we have the hope of eternal life. And Jude 1.21 reads, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now what is eternal life? Well, eternal life is life without death, life without sin, and life without any hindrances to our worshiping and serving and fellowshipping with the triune God. It is living in the full favor and pleasure of God forever and ever without end. In essence, it is the very life of the triune God given to us as a gift of grace. Of course, the Bible says that eternal life is given to us the very moment that we believe in Jesus Christ. As Christians, we in, we in, in a real sense will never die. The gospel has made us spiritually alive. The power of sin has been broken in our lives. And we now know God in a saving way. But the Bible also says that the full enjoyment of that blessed life awaits a future day when Christ returns. Only then will blessed, righteous, unchangeable life be ours. So this is one thing that hope eyes from afar 
and longs to receive. But here's the third thing. The third, third thing is we hope in reaching the state of glorification. Speaking of the benefits of being justified by faith alone in Christ alone, Paul says this in Romans 5.2, And we rejoice or boast in hope of the glory of God. And he says in Colossians 1.27 that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And what does this mean, that the glory of God or the hope of glory? Well, I think these passages are telling us about the state of glory that every single believer will reach when Christ returns on the last day. The state of glory, the state of perfection, this, this state of absolute blessedness. Remember, this has always been the plan and purpose of God from the very beginning. Right? He created the world very good, but it was not created very glorious yet. So He formed and fashioned the first man, Adam, to take this very good world to a very glorious world. But the Bible sadly tells us that He fell short of that glory. He sinned against God, and He brought a curse upon this entire universe. But brethren, Christ has come. He is the second and last and great Adam. And He brings this world to that state of glorification by His sin-bearing death and His resurrection from the dead. He will bring this world to glory when He returns again from heaven. He's going to turn the old creation into the new creation. He will bring this cursed world into a state of unshakable order, unending peace, immutable righteousness, and everlasting blessedness. But brethren, the wonderful thing is we are all going to be caught up in this. We will be forever changed by the glory of God. We will perfectly reflect the glory of God in our bodies and souls for all eternity. And we will stand back and be forever amazed at the glory of God shining fully in the face of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We will behold and marvel at His majesty and excellence and perfections with eyes wide open and enjoy this blessed vision forever. So this week we hope for the state of glorification, not only for our own selves, but for the entire universe. And Jesus is coming back to make all things new. But fourth, we hope in participating in the resurrection of the dead. Very similar to receiving the fullness of eternal life. But here's some passages that speak specifically about the resurrection of the dead. In Acts 23.6, the Apostle Paul says, I am on trial concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And in Acts 24.15, he says that he has a hope in God that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And then the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 says that we eagerly await for this final application of our adoptions as sons. That final application is the redemption of our bodies. Not just our souls, but our bodies. So there's this hope in resurrection life and the redemption of our bodies course we have been spiritually redeemed already and we've been spiritually raised from the dead the moment that Christ Jesus saved us he has given us that eternal life he has given us new brand new life in him but brethren we still await the resurrection and the redemption of our bodies all of us still now live in bodies of death bodies of weakness and frailty and sin, bodies that are going to die one day unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns. But hope looks past death. 
And it even looks past our bodiless existence in heaven. As glorious as that will be, hope looks even past that state to the very final day when Christ returns to raise our bodies back to life. These lowly and sinful bodies will be transformed one day into perfect, sinless, righteous bodies that will fully reflect the glorious character of our Savior. Paul says in Philippians 3, 20-21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. But next, we hope in hearing the public pronouncement of our righteousness. Galatians 5.5 says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait or hope for the hope of righteousness. Something called the hope of righteousness. Now what does the Apostle Paul mean by that? Well, I think here he is talking about the time when we will be declared righteous by God before the entire universe on the day of judgment. Now, of course, we have already been declared righteous in Jesus Christ. The moment we believed in Christ, we were actually and truly justified in God's just and holy courtroom. There can be no future addition to our justification. It is already complete and perfect in every way because of what Christ has done for us by His shed blood and His imputed righteousness. As John Gill says, we have our justification not in hope, but in hand. It is presently and and fully ours in Christ. But think about this. Our justification is still largely hidden in this life. We know it in part, and sometimes we struggle with it. And other people know it in part, but not very many people. But when Jesus Christ comes back again, it's going to be announced to the whole creation. The whole universe is going to to know that we have been accounted righteous in Jesus Christ. Our justification on that day will be fully and finally confirmed. It will be completely unveiled. It will be openly declared. It will be authoritatively announced by God, not just to ourselves, but to the whole world. We will be openly acknowledged and acquitted on that day and vindicated by the judge of the entire universe. Vindicated before Satan, before his demons, before wicked men, before our friends and family members, before our neighbors and co-workers, before the rich and powerful, and even before the holy angels in heaven. On that day, our names will be read from the book of life. And on that day, we will be placed on the right side of Christ's glorious throne. On that very day, we will be shown to the entire universe that we are Christ's people. We are Christ's church. We are Christ's sheep. We are Christ's flock. We are Christ's bride. And we will inherit the kingdom prepared for us from the foundation of the world. So we await that that public universal announcement to the universe that we belong to Christ. I think that's what the hope of righteousness is. But next, we hope in obtaining our heavenly inheritance. 1 Peter 3, uh, 1, verses 3 through 4. says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, 
He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And listen to what he says in verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. If you jump to verse 13, I think he still has this inheritance in mind when he says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is that grace that will be brought to us? I think it's that inheritance that He's already told us about. We have a living hope in this inheritance to come. Now, brethren, we are all adopted sons and daughters of God by grace. Blood-bought children of our great God. And we have a rich and glorious inheritance that is stored up for us. But the thing is, we don't have possession of it yet. It's been promised to us. It's been guaranteed to us. But it's not in our hands just yet. This is something that hope longs to receive. And I think this inheritance has to do with having a portion in the new heavens and the new earth. Remember, when Christ comes back again, He's going to make all things new. He's bringing in the new heavens and the new earth where we will live forever and ever without end. Well, the inheritance is having a parcel of land in that glorious place called Emmanuel's land. But even more than that, I think the inheritance involves us enjoying and worshiping and serving our great Savior forever and ever without end. Christ is our portion. And Christ is our inheritance. And we will have the glorious privilege of serving our great King and enjoying Him forever in the new heavens and new earth. So brethren, we look forward to that inheritance to be given to us when our Savior returns. Here's the last thing that hope looks for. We hope in experiencing ultimate salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8-9 says this, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him or hoping in Him. Now the moment that we were saved, God saved us from the penalty of our sins. And then He broke off the power of our sins and that's what He's doing now. That's what sanctification is all about. We're being saved from the power of our sins. But brethren, we have a greater hope than even being saved from the power of our sins. We have the hope of being saved from the presence, the very presence of our sins. This ultimate salvation, this future salvation involves the total removal of sins from our hearts and souls. That's not all that we will be saved from. We'll also be saved from all the miseries of this life from dying and crying and mourning and pain and suffering, because the Bible says all the formal th- former things will pass away on that day. We'll also be saved from Satan, for he will be thrown into the lake of fire forever. And we will be saved from the wrath to come, because Christ will hide us in His blood and in His righteousness. We will not face that fiery wrath that will fall upon the enemies of God, because we will be hidden in Christ our solid rock. Well, brethren, these are the things that we are to hope for. 
We're not to set our hope upon the things of this life. And we're not even to set our hope upon the good things that will come to us in heaven. When we look at the word hope, it's always referring to, and it's always looking to things that will come when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory. Again, it's things like the full enjoyment of eternal life, ultimate salvation, the universal declaration of righteousness, resurrected bodies, our heavenly inheritance, and living in a state of glorification. So if you're a believer in Christ, this is your destiny. This is your destiny. These things are absolutely certain to come forth in your heart and soul. Can words even properly describe these good and glorious things? We don't deserve any of these things. We are wicked rebels on our own. And yet look at what Christ offers to us. Look what He holds out to us. Look what He promises us. Look at these good and glorious things. Brethren, we are debtors to grace and mercy alone. Let us be humble. Humbly receive these things. Because none of us deserve any of them. Well, here's the last thing I'd like to talk about. And it's the fruit of Christian hope. We might be accused as Christians of having our heads so far up in the clouds that we're no earthly good. Right? All, all you Christians are, you just think about the future so much. You just think about the return of Christ and it makes you no earthly good. Well, the Bible tells us very clearly that if we possess this Christian hope, it makes us do a whole lot of good here on earth. So what fruit should come about in our lives if we have this Christian hope? Well, let me just mention to you four major ways hope should help us every day in our everyday lives. For that, I'm going to get a drink of water. The first is this. If you have the Christian hope, you should be full of patience. Romans 8.25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope and patience go hand in hand. Patience is obviously absolutely needed in the Christian life. Remember, we haven't experienced the object of our hope just yet. We can see it with the eyes of our heart, but we have not seen it with the eyes of our head. And so we hope for what we do not see. We don't see Christ reigning on His throne. We haven't experienced resurrection life. We haven't been given our inheritance just yet. And right now, just look around you, all we see is sin and misery and chaos and cursedness and disappointments and troubles and trials and miseries and afflictions. So it would be easy to lose hope if our hope looked only to the things of this life. But brethren, in Christ we have hope and we have hope in the life to come. So this hope should work in our hearts and souls' patience, especially in our afflictions. Not apathy, not indifference, not stoicism towards all the evil things in this world, but patient endurance to the very end. Patience teaches us that the losses and crosses of this life come before the glorious crown. That's what patience does. You want that crown, you want the, the hope of righteousness, you want eternal life. Well, losses and crosses come before that. 
Patience works in us a content heart that is satisfied with God's provisions for us in this life and a heart that's willing to wait for the good things to come. You guys have probably all read Pilgrim's Progress or are familiar with it. I love the glorious vision that was given to Christian by the interpreter of two little boys. One's name is Patience and one is named Passion. And Passion wanted his inheritance now. And he made fun of and he mocked the little boy named Patience because he was willing to wait. He was patient and content with what God had given him in this life. Well, who, who do you think got the last laugh? Patience did. Passion spent up all of his inheritance. He had nothing left at the end. And yet at the end, patience was given everything that he was waiting for. Well, patience teaches us to wait to be content, to be satisfied with what God has given us because He has so much more in store for us in the life to come. And lastly, patience gives us a humble spirit that sweetly submits to the will of God without whining or complaining or falling into absolute despair. So brethren, in all your afflictions, patiently hope in the Lord. Remember that He will never leave you nor forsake you. And He is using your suffering to point you to the glory to come. Just think, brethren, we are almost there. I don't know when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. I know some things have to happen before He returns. But we're almost there. We're almost there. We're almost home. So don't give up your hope. Don't give in to fleshly complaining and whining and moaning and groaning. Keep patiently bearing these burdens because Christ your Redeemer is coming soon to save you. And on that day, that's when He will exchange that old rugged cross that you're carrying around for that glorious crown. So be patient. But secondly, if we have the Christian hope, we should be people full of eagerness and joy. The Bible presents hope as the energetic, enthusiastic, motivating grace in the Christian life. Think of hope like a spiritual gasoline that's poured into your hearts and souls that will help you to get to the end destination, your final resting place. Well, hope is that energetic grace that will help us get there and to run the race with fervency. And we looked at some of these scriptures that, you know, a, a, a synonymous term for hope is eagerly waiting for things. There's eagerness involved. And there's joy. For instance, Proverbs 10.28, the hope of the righteous brings joy. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 12.12, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Brethren, always remember this. We do not have a bleak hope. Instead, we have a bright and blessed hope in Jesus Christ. It's not bleak. It's bright. It's glorious. And on the last day, we will not be losers. That is what the world is telling us over and over and over again. We will be losers on the last day. But that's not what the Bible says. Based off the authority of the Word of God, based off the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will not be losers. We will not be disappointed. We will not be left empty-handed. Our hope will not go up in smoke when Christ returns. What we hope for is not only real, but it is absolutely certain. This is not just... Again, wishful thinking, or we're just worshiping a fake God, or this is just the imagination of our hearts. This is real. 
as real as the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, and as certain because Christ has done this all for us. It's true that we can't see what we hope for now, but the Word of God fully assures us that one day we will. One day, eternal life, glory, salvation, inheritance, and righteousness will be ours in their fullest amounts. So brethren, erase those doubts in your mind. Throw away those uncertainties. Get yourself out of the spiritual doldrums. Be stirred up to serve God with a fresh and fervent zeal and joy because of the infallible hope that you have in Christ. Set your hope fully on the good things to come. That is a command from the Apostle Peter. Set your hope fully on these things. Not partially, not mostly, fully. Be all in when it comes to the Christian hope. And run the race with all your might, not looking behind you, not looking around you, but looking straight ahead at the finish line where Jesus Christ is waiting for you. So we should be a people full of eagerness and joy. But third, we should be a people full of holiness if we have the Christian hope. John Calvin says this, when we direct our eyes to the event of Christ's coming, this world becomes crucified to us and we to the world. That's exactly what the Bible teaches in several different places, but let me just point out one. 1 John 3, verses 2-3. through Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Here's the application to us now in verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. Our hope in Christ, brethren, should lead us to purification or holiness. It keeps us alert and sober-minded in this life. It helps us to see all the present evil dangers that we are experiencing. And it makes us say, if we're going to see Christ one day, and we're going to be holy as He is holy, perfectly holy, then shouldn't we want that now? Shouldn't we seek for that now? Shouldn't we long to be like Christ now? Because we're going to be like Him for all eternity. So whoever has this hope of Christ's return purifies himself now as Jesus Christ is pure and holy. So brother, make sure that this hope that you have is leading you to holiness. Not sinful living, not laziness and slothfulness, but being alert and sober-minded and clinging to Christ and obeying His commandments. This is what true hope produces in our hearts and souls. Here's the last thing I'd like to say. Hope should make us a people full of boldness. 2 Corinthians 3.12 says that hope makes us very bold. Philippians 1.20 says that hope brings about full courage in us. And again, Paul says in Romans 5.2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But again, I think a better translation is we boast in hope of the glory of God. That's what the word literally means, to boast. We boast in this hope. Hebrews 3.6 says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are His house, if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. There's this confidence and boasting in our hope that we are to hold fast to. Brethren, hope makes us bold and courageous. 
Hope makes us strong and steadfast. Hope makes us fearless followers and servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because I think hope gives us a glimpse into the future. And it tells us that that future is ours. Guaranteed. Absolute certainty. No doubts whatsoever. It shows us that we have nothing to fear, but have everything to gain. Let me give you this illustration. Say you were a football coach. And you're about to play in the biggest game of your life against one of the toughest rivals in your conference. Well, what if somehow before the game, you were given a glimpse of the future and you saw that you would win that game 50 to nothing? Absolute desecration, spanking. The other team has no chance and yet they're this great formidable foe, but you will beat them 50 to zero. When that game begins... Would you have any reason at all to fear your opponent? Any at all? If you knew that you were going to win that game, you have no reason. No reason at all. You would laugh at your opponent as they tried to mock you before the game because you knew that ultimate victory was yours. You would coach throughout the game with boldness and confidence, knowing the end game. Well, brethren, how much more should we do this in the Christian life? Our victory is already secured. Christ has won our salvation. Christ is the victor. Christ is seated on His heavenly throne. And Christ is returning again, this time in glory. Who's the big loser? The devil is. He is utterly defeated. He is forever crushed. His time is short. So brethren, why should we fear the devil and wicked men in this life who have no hope? Why live enslaved to the opinions of other people who will perish and die in their sins? Why be full of doubts when all things are working for your good now and even for your glorification in the future? Brethren, we have a hope that will not disappoint us. It will not fail us. It will not go unfulfilled. You will see and experience everything that God promises to you uh, you in His Word. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Well, in conclusion, we've seen, hopefully we've seen what the Bible teaches concerning the Christian hope. We've seen the definition, the foundation, the content, and the fruit of this glorious hope. Again, believer in Christ, patiently, eagerly, joyfully, righteously and boldly hope in the Lord and the good and glorious things He has in store for you. Keep the eyes of your heart upon those things and let them motivate you and help you live the Christian life. I must make this appeal to those who may be outside of Jesus Christ here today. The Christian hope is what you need most. Ephesians 2.12 says that if you are apart from Christ, you have no true hope and you are without God in this world. That's how we were at one time. We had no hope. But praise God, God has given us that hope. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no hope. Of course, there's a kind of hope that you have. And I said it earlier. But that hope is a fearful expectation. Not of good things to come, but of bad things to come. Not of eternal life, but eternal death. Not of salvation, but vengeance and destruction. Not of righteousness, but condemnation and damnation, not of a glorious resurrection, but of a resurrection to shame 
and everlasting contempt. Not of a heavenly inheritance with the Lord, but of a hellish inheritance apart from His mercy and His grace. Friend, if this is you, you are most to be pitied. If you only hope for things in this life, you are most to be pitied. The Bible tells us that you are guaranteed to be condemned and consigned to hell for all eternity. That's your destiny outside of Jesus Christ. You could say that you have a hope, but it is a bad, cursed, hellish hope. It's not a good, heavenly, blessed one. This should terrorize you. This should give you no rest in your life. A fearful expectation of bad things to come. That's what you should be thinking about. This should give you no rest. But this should cause you to flee from that wrath to come. And flee to Jesus Christ. Hide yourself in Him. The Bible says that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. The Bible says if you find refuge in Jesus Christ, you will be safe. And the Bible says if you hope in Jesus Christ, that hope will never be put to shame. So please, if you are outside of Christ today, flee to Him now. He's the only hope of any good to come. Well, brethren, may God stamp our hearts with the phrase, hope in Christ's coming. May He write it upon the tablets of our hearts. May He put it in our minds. May this be what consumes us constantly. And again, this, these things produce glorious fruit in our own hearts and lives. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for the Christian hope. Oh Lord, we would perish with no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Living in a cursed world, in bodies of death, full of rebellion and sin. Lord, we deserve hell. The hottest portions of hell. And yet we thank You for this hope. So many blessed things, so many good things for us to look forward to. So we pray, may You work in our hearts and lives patience. May You work in our hearts and lives eagerness and joy. May You work in our hearts and lives boldness and holiness. And Lord, for those outside of Christ, we pray that You would save them. May they see they are standing upon sinking sand. And the only one who can save them is Christ the solid rock. May they put their faith and hope in Him. We ask this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.